I'm Mariangela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ plus and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community, where we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. The goal of this space is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated or alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. Okay, everybody. I am so excited. This is the very first Faces of Fortitude virtual session on the Face to Faces podcast. And today, my guinea pig, poor thing, and but sweet, sweet human to agree to do this, Ashley Collins, who has been a follower, a fan, and now a friend online for, I, I think, a few years since the beginning of this project. And, you know, we've talked about her sharing her story. We've talked about her struggles with suicidal ideation, with with attempts, with with just mental illness in the past. And, you know, she's been very scared to share her story. But the bravery today is just un it's it's unbelievable. So I'm so, so happy to have you here. She's a YouTuber. She's an influencer. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm it- I'm so excited. Yeah, I, I just realized it has been a couple of years. Yeah. Social media is so weird because like you feel like you've known someone for a couple of days, but it's like, oh, no, it's been a long time. <laughs> right. And I feel like we've, especially in quarantine, we've all kind of created this bond with each other. And um, when I told you that this might be possible, you, I could tell you or your brain was like, no, no, this is scary. But the rest of you was like, I'm just going to do it. It's fine. And um, I'm really proud of you for doing that. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. This is so this is new territory for me, too, because I can't take pictures, but I've been missing it so much. So I'm going to capture photos from our recording afterwards. And for now, you know, this is a peek inside what one of my sessions looks like, because no one has ever been. These are private sessions and. Um, because oftentimes they can get very intense and sad and difficult. But, you know, taking those out of the shadows and and having an episode where we uncover what that whole session looks like, maybe will help someone else find the courage to also have these kinds of discussions. So thank you for doing this. And I'm excited to show people what a session looks like. I, I'm so excited for this because... I, I, I don't know about anyone else, but like I've always been curious. So it's, it's nice to, to have a front seat, I guess. Yeah, well, you do. <laughs> you have a very front seat. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to change the view here so I can just see your face and my face is not in this. And um, how these start is I tell people my side, my story. 
just the gist of it. If you have any questions, because you know, I don't tell everything online. As much as people think I'm very transparent, I'm not. Um, and there's a lot of details I don't share. So if you have any questions, this is the place to ask it. Um, and I watch body language. So when I tell my story, I watch your body language because what you don't realize is we all connect to each other's pain in some way. You know, if you are at a party and someone says, oh, I lost a brother and I've lost a brother, you know, I immediately connect to that person. And I'm like, so did I. And I immediately want to be their friend. So I watch your body language to see what you connect with because we all have connections in, with our traumas. We just have to find them. So my story starts, as a lot of people know, when I was 17, um, I was sexually assaulted at school and I grew up with a uh, mentally abusive mother who uh, was, you know, I was the first grandchild. I was the first daughter in this large Italian family. So if anybody knows who Sofia Coppola is, I was kind of the Sofia Coppola of the family. I was the one that was very, I was very, you know, they were all the rules, all the restrictions, all the things she's going to be a nun, like all of this. And so, and I very far from a nun to this day, but, <laughs> um, and so, you know, I wasn't able to wear makeup and I wasn't able to be cool in school. And so I was very bullied and I was very, um, it was a very hard time in my teens. Um, and I was sexually assaulted. Um, and, you know, my level of shame, I was raised that I wasn't supposed to have sex until I was married. And that took my virginity. And I wasn't um, allowed to look pretty because God forbid a boy would want to have sex with me and get me pregnant. That's what it meant to look pretty. That's what it meant to be to cherish my body was to be a slut. And um, so when I was sexually assaulted, I was terrified that my whole family would think that I was a slut and a horrible person. Um, and so I went home and I, my mom had epilepsy and um, lupus. And uh, I went to her purse where I knew I could find all of her pills. And I took every single pill I could find, way too many drugs than I should have. And uh, my brother and sister found me on, on the floor, passed out. And I just kind of hazily woke up to an ambulance getting there. My sister called an ambulance. My brother just kind of stared. He was 11. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but, you know, looking back, I probably should have had a conversation with them. I was in the hospital for two days and um, nothing was talked about. The family just was told that I was sick in the hospital, I had gotten a really bad flu or something. And my brother wasn't talked to about it either. And, you know, looking back, I think there, that was a misstep for me. Um, so fast forward, you know, I kind of try to uh, repair my life and um, my brother starts to have red flags and problems. And I didn't, I didn't see it hit them because I was busy with my own life and he was, you know, seven years younger than me. And, um, Slowly, I started seeing red flags. Um, our mother was estranged from the family and left everyone. And um, he was obviously affected by that. That was He was the youngest. He saw his mom every day. And then all of a sudden, she was gone. So he started showing signs of mental illness. And we all just kind of chalked it up to him being he's just uh, really smart and he went to Yale. And so we couldn't tell if he was just really smart, like smarter than us, maybe we didn't know. And so 
I, um, I was in denial about a lot of his red flags. And then um, one faded day in June, he, and there were a lot of red flags coming up to that. And I will share those if anybody ever wanted to hear them. Um, but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but you also can't live in those places of regret. Um, so um, my family and I at the time were going out of the country on a vacation and uh, my brother emailed us uh, as I was on my way to the airport. I get an email on my phone and it was just to me and my sister. And it was very like cool. It was like, Hey guys, I'm so excited to be coming in a few weeks. He had a ticket to come home to visit us and he had his bags packed and he said, my bags are packed. I'm so excited to come see you. And it was really chill. And we were surprised because usually at that time in his life, all conversations with him were pretty intense very kind of zeitgeist, very paranoia, very, you know, uh, you know, just a lot of theories, a lot of, a lot of overthinking. Um, and so to get an email that blunt and to the point and, uh, easy, my sister texted me and was like, well, that was oddly normal. Like I want, he seems great. And I was like, yep, let's not, let's not chance it. Just leave it alone. Um, so I said, I'm getting on a plane. I'll see you. I'll talk to you tomorrow, you know, cause it was going to be a really long flight. And I, um, get on the plane and my connecting flight is in Atlanta where my brother lives. And we had a layover that was three hours, but it was postponed. It was delayed for six. So the people we were traveling with who I knew quite well said, you know, doesn't your brother live here? You should call him. Maybe he can come to the airport for coffee or something. And I immediately kind of lashed out and said, no, I'm going on vacation. I don't want to deal with all that. He's a lot right now. I'm not dealing with that before my vacation. And he killed himself six hours later on that day. So that's something I've dealt with in therapy for a long time. You know, could I have stopped him? Could I have? Um, no, I couldn't have. I might have delayed it, but... Uh, my brother's problem was bigger than a phone call from the airport in Atlanta. So um, he was in his office, office building. He was using the email at his office because he didn't have Wi-Fi at home. And he worked for a company called Outward Bound, a, a nonprofit, um, I, ironically, that took kids into the wilderness and helped them um, with uh, mental illness that they had. So he um, worked with these kids. Anyways, he went into the office on a Sunday and was um, checking his email. And after he emailed us, we think something something in his email set him off after that. Um, he totally trashed the office. He painted the walls. Um, he punched the TV screens. He There was paint in the, in the hallway from maintenance that had been being done. And he took that paint and just like splattered paint all over the walls. And it was almost like a piece of art in many ways. Um, and then he put, he covered his face and his head with his shirt and he jumped out the window and that was it. And he died instantly. And the coroner, not knowing anything about my brother and his love, eternal love for superheroes had no idea anything about him and said that it looked, if he didn't know better, it looked like he was trying to fly, which is exactly what I felt like he was trying to do. 
Um, and, you know, a very long story short, that is what started this kind of path for me. And I originally started the project because of the loss of my brother. However, in unpacking all of that, I realized that my attempt at 17 is really where this started. That my attempt to take my life and him not being having an open discussion and knowing that that discussion was safe and possible with me, um, my story starts there. So that's my story in a nutshell. There's a lot of details I didn't share, but I'm open to any questions you have, if you have any, um, and then we'll share yours. What made him more distraught whenever you guys had conversations? What was like really bothering him a lot? Yeah, um, this is gonna sound really uh, intense, but the state of the world, my brother was so physically harmed by the homeless population, by the injustices, by the inequality of wealth. I remember sitting at my sister's dinner table one day, and this is when my sister was previously married. She, They had a very large house on a large piece of property. His family was very wealthy. And I remember my brother kind of very being very judgmental and looking over at all of us and saying, you know, what exactly are you doing with all of your shit? Like, why do you have all of this? And why are there people that have nothing? And he was very poignant. He was very finger pointing. He was very um, judgmental. But and looking back, I get it. But in that moment, I remember my sister and I both being very defensive. Um, he was pained. He would take everything he had. He'd pack up granola bars, comic books, shirts that he wasn't wearing in backpacks and walk around the city of Seattle and or New York or wherever he was and give things to homeless people. And just, and his, his signature, which I secretly loved was that he would not, he would prefer to give things to people when they were sleeping because he didn't want to be thanked. So he was actually, something was written about him in New York um, because he was this, there was a mystery person leaving bagged, treats and lunches for people when they were sleeping and they didn't know where it was coming from. And I asked him, and he was in a purple suit, which my brother had this infamous pur purple suit that he wore. And um, people asked him why he did it. And he said, I just don't want to be thanked. That's not what I'm doing it for. And um, so the, the ills of the world, the injustices of the world were so, I mean, they physically hurt him. I watched him in so much pain over it. And I do believe, and I've read this before, that some people are just too sensitive. You know, we've all become so desensitized to everything that's going on. I mean, I think we're seeing it in the Black Lives Matter movement right now. We, we've been so desensitized to what's happening to, to the Black community, but now it's being brought back in front of all of our eyes because we were forced to not work and be away and be quarantined and sit. Now we're seeing it. My brother saw all of that. My brother was an activist before any of us were activists, meaning any of us, meaning my family. Um, mm -hmm. he, he saw things before we did. He was ultra sensitive. And I feel like now, today, I wasn't sensitive back then. I remember walking down the street, walking by two homeless people and them asking us for money. And I looked at them and said, sorry, I don't have any. And then just kept walking, which is the average response from someone. Yeah. He looked right at me and he said, you did not really see them. 
you didn't see them. You don't have to have money to see them. And I, I didn't think about it and I kind of rolled my eyes at him, but now in his death, it breaks my heart. And I feel like he transferred some of his sensitivity to me on those topics because now, um, the homeless population and homeless people, it's really hard for me and it it hurts me in many ways. Um, and I think of him a lot. Uh, so, you know, he struggled with the ills of the world and not being able to fix them. It was a lot for him. Do you find that this brought you and your sister closer together? Uh, that's a really hard question, Ashley, because, you know, um, suicide loss actually does the opposite to most families. It, it tore all of us apart for a long time because everyone grieves so different. And that's something I've realized in this project is everyone heals and grieves differently. So it's very easy in the beginning, especially to judge how other people are grieving because you're angry. And I, I'm totally guilty of it. And so my sister and I grieved very differently for a long time. Um, we're closer now, but in the beginning, um, she, she's a very, she's a yogi. She's a very, um, uh, she, she's very Zen in many ways. And so she was handling it very calmly and I've got this and I'm doing this and this is all, this is how I'm healing. And I was very, I like to be thrown in the fire. I, I thrive in chaos. I thrive in trauma. I, you know, there's a book that I'm reading about the body holding trauma and it's, you know, we, it's where our comfort is, especially if we grow up with this fight or flight. If you grow up with any sort of abuse, it's where you can think it's where, you know, you know, even though trauma is horrible, a lot of us do really well in those situations because that's how we've been doing it since we were children. And so I'm um, watching the, and my dad, and then my dad in the beginning didn't deal with it at all. My step, he's like my stepdad, but he's been my dad since I was two. So I call him my dad. Um, but that was my brother's real father, you know, birth blood father. And um, he didn't, you know, he was just uh, had alcohol that he was using to numb the pain. And there were no photos of my brother anywhere. And he was just not doing anything. And so I was judging all of these people like, why don't you want to throw yourself into the fire like me? I'm just crying every day and I'm reliving it. So I, I didn't like trigger words because I believe, and this is very controversial of me, but I believe that triggering, if somebody says trigger warning or I'm triggered by that, I, my very unpopular opinion is to tell someone very gently, that means you have something to work on. Yeah. Like, yeah. sorry about it. Sorry. Yeah. And so for me, it was like all these people around me were being triggered. And I'm like, I want to trigger myself. I need to. Because words like jump, jump out of a window or killed himself were words that my family would cringe at. And I didn't. And you know why? I told the story that I told you in detail every day to a totally new person for a year. I wanted to get those words out of my mouth so they didn't feel like nails in my tongue so that I could say the word jump. I can watch a movie. You know how many movies have characters jumping out of buildings? Tons. So many movies. And I can watch those now. It's still hard. I still kind of go, you'll see me. I'll catch my breath. 
but I don't turn away and I don't cry because I'm able to do it. I was able to get those words out. So for me, um, my sister and I, it, suicide does something to a family. I've, I've actually seen it in other faces. I've heard other faces tell me stories. I've had people estranged from their parents after suicides in the family, um, divorces of couples after children have taken their lives. It's, it's a very intense loss. And um, so I think the majority of people don't bond afterwards because the trauma, they liken the trauma of suicide death to being in an airplane crash. That's what it does to your body. Your entire body is shook to the core. So yeah, nobody's going to react identically the same. So yeah, that's a very long answer to say, no, we weren't, we didn't get closer, but I feel like we are coming back full circle now and we are getting closer now, thankfully. That's good. Yeah. Do you have any other questions? Was there anything in my story that you connected to, by the way? When you said how, So I've been really big right now recently on life, in life with how ripples work and how one small little moment, which you think is not important, affects so much later on in life. Mm -hmm. So when you said that your attempt on your life at um, 17, I'm thinking, what ripples did I unconsciously affect not only my family, but my friends? and every, everyone else that I'm surrounded by. That's very, I mean, that's very intuitive of you to, to think that, because I don't think a lot of us give ourselves that kind of perspective, which I think is very important because even the ripples that you and I are making right now, like we don't realize how this might, may or may not affect someone down the road. You know, maybe my talking about triggers is gonna be hard on somebody but maybe it's also going to be a, a light bulb for someone else. Well, I would love to hear your story. You know that I've never heard it. In fact, you post, <laughs> so you made a post about it and or it was it a video? It was a video post or maybe it was an, a text post. I actually didn't read it on purpose because I knew that I wanted to do this with you. And let me explain that. There's something very important in the healing process when you hear someone's story for the first time i want to react authentically for you and if i've heard it before i can't and so that's why i i discourage people from telling me personally for my project telling me their story via text via email um having me read a post a lot of people will send me their posts or their um, here's my YouTube video. Here's my this explaining my story. And I always respond the same way. I always say, I'm not going to read it or watch it. And let me tell you why. Because the moment that you are telling your story and I react authentically and you see my reaction, there's a, there's a chemical reaction psychologically that happens. You're able to see your trauma in my eyes and you're able to see just how horrible it is. And that's really important. And we something is lost when we do that 
over text or email. You know what I mean? You don't get to see the human reaction. Yeah. So. Okay. So. <laughs> where can you <laughs> tell me and as much history as you want. And also, this is what I tell everyone. Do not worry about timelines because when we're talking about trauma, I understand that people go, oh, I missed something. Let me go back. Oh, but wait, I forgot this. Don't worry about it. You can jump around as much as you want. I will make sense of it. Okay. <laughs> you, can make tell me, you can tell me history. <laughs> you can tell me this has, you have to know this in order to know this. I can, you can do any of that. At this point, this is your safe space to share whatever you want. So, um, I feel like I'm very similar to you where like, I am very open on social media, but I feel like there's so many pieces that are missing and it's like, it's not intentional, but no one really ever ass <laughs> but um so this first started back in middle school i want to say it was seventh grade i think i don't think i've ever told anyone this story before mm. um i had had slash have a best friend where she told me that cutting herself made her feel better and i was like i was a very unnecessarily stressed out kid <laughs> i i <laughs> So um, I remember one day I was like, let me just cut myself so I don't feel so stressed out anymore. And um, it didn't help, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's, that's where the self-harms kind of started. Um, I feel like sometimes I kind of self-sabotage myself. I was talking to a friend today, actually, where I was like, I'm in this weird phase in life where I want to live. I want to see, like in a Marvel movie, I want to see what happens at the end of the credits. But if I die today, I don't think I'd be bothered by it. Mm. Um, most recently, um, I was having a very, very hard time sleeping. Um, and so one night I was like, fuck it. I'm just gonna drive to the bridge and jump off the bridge. And this, this I, I hate bridges. <laughs> I hate bridges. Um, but I was like, it feels appropriate because I'll be conquering my fear. So, um, I got up, I wrote, um, a suicide note. I emailed it to myself. And then um, I messaged a friend that I have on Twitter and I was like, hey, if you don't hear from me in, in such amount of time, can you tell my family to check my email? Ashley, when was this? Um, This was in July. Next time I want to be in that circle of people that you message. I'm just saying. But um, so I, I got up I, and I got dressed. But then I was like, oh, God, I'm just so tired. and I don't want to get pulled over <laughs> driving because I'm so tired. They're going to think I'm drunk or on drugs. And I was like, you know what? If you fall asleep in the next two minutes, we're not going to do this. And so I fell asleep. And the next morning I was like, fuck, I didn't want to fall asleep. And um, I went for a walk. And... I'm trying right now to, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Right now I'm trying to find a reason, the excitement for life. 
Because that, that excitement is gone. So, yeah. <laughs> so, the excitement for your living is gone for you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't look forward to things anymore. Kind of. Like, I'm look- I was looking forward to this, you know? But then my mind goes to, what happens after this? I'll be sad. So, tell me what happens after this. I don't know. (laughs) So when you get sad, tell me what that looks like. Tell me what that feels like. So one of the symptoms for coronavirus is you feel a lot of pain in your chest. Like someone described it as they feel like someone's sitting on your chest. Hmm. And, um, I, I take martial art classes, so I know what that feeling feels like. <laughs> so that sadness feels like someone sitting on my chest. When you f- tell me what it feels like in your head. In my head, it's I hate I hate when people say stories like this when they're like, oh, I was such a good student in school. <laughs> but it's true. I was I was a very good student. There was a study done recently where um, they interviewed college students who had a goal, they had a plan. And um, normally those people were, ended up being successful. And I was one of those students. I had a, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and then nothing has gone according to what I had planned. And I had written it down, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of it in my mind is trying to figure out what I did wrong and trying to correct it. But my history tells me that I can't correct it because I'm a fuck up. Am I allowed to curse? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, you're very, curse? you know me, bitch. Listen, I curse <laughs> all the time. This, it, it would be called, it, there would be fucking the title if I could. So don't worry. <laughs> so yeah. You're a fuck up. I'm so, let me tell you how blown away I am by this. You are so opposite. You're, the way that you radiate out to people is I I wonder if you see it when you make videos when you talk to people um you're a light like you are not you're more than a light you're a sparkling light like one of those lights that have like a glitter thing over them like you are a light like the fact that you feel like a fuck up is I don't want to dis. I, I don't want to um, dismiss it because I get it, um, but it's shocking to me. It had to have come from somewhere. Did you, did this come from somewhere? Um, I know you're not supposed to compare your life to other people, but but um, we all do. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I compare myself a lot to my um to my to my my cousins. Um, they're married with kids. Um, 
houses, several cars. And I'm like, oh, I'm here with my $20,000 in debt, <laughs> living back at mom's house. And that the, oh God, I hate to say this out loud, but I do think that there's something very, not the word toxic, but there's something wrong with how growing up in a black household where the standards are set where you have to do this. And if you don't do this, then what's wrong with you? For me, for growing up in my household, the standard was find a man and go to college and life will be good. And I, ha I went to college. <laughs> I found several men and life hasn't been great. And I'm like, am I doing something wrong? Am I not following the, the rules correctly? You know? I think that there's something to be said about, you know, the black community, the people that have been in this project have all had a very similar tone of, their families being the hardest part on their mental health because they are from a culture that tells them, suck it up. You have a roof over your head. You have food. You have family. You have your health. You are happy. Yeah. There's nothing to be sad about. And that's very dismissive. I feel like I get that a lot from my, um, from my Black friends where they're like, at least you have your family. And it's, and it's like... It's nice to sit around at Thanksgiving and pretend that everything's okay, but <laughs> we're all wearing masks. Right. Wow, that's very powerful. I think that also we are all so stuck. You know, I was raised, I'm older than you, but I was raised in a family of boomer parents that also were under the impression that I had to, uh, you know, be married and have 2.5 children and go to college and have a degree and do all of these things. Now, looking back, I absolutely on purpose <laughs> broke every single one of those rules and standards because the heteronormative bullshit, straight white mentality of this is what your life has to look like has been seeped into all cultures that are not white in the in our country and so it is it's so harmful to our mental health to think that these are the standards if anything you are openly talking about mental health and mental illness you are being so painfully vulnerable and transparent to your following and to your to people online and to friends you are being the realist in your family it sounds like the most authentic. And that is worth more than a spouse and a house and a picket fence, in my opinion. And maybe you aren't meant to be married. Maybe you aren't meant to, you don't, marriage, you know that there's a whole movement of, of women or femme, I like to say femme facing people because, you know, the, the term, you know, woman is kind of antiquated nowadays. Um, there's a whole femme facing people that are proud of being single and are proud of living their life. And ha want, if they don't ever want to have a child, they don't ever have to have a child. And you know what I mean? Standing in their power 
and not going the way their parents say they have to be in order to be happy. Um, it's a scary thing. I know, you know, like you said, you're, you're living at home. And so that's probably makes you feel, um, insecure at times, but I don't think, I think that it's very powerful to be able to take a step back and do something that's good for yourself. And that's a smart move financially. So I want to know when this started in middle school, you said you were an unnecessarily stressed out kid. Was there issues in the school or with friends that kind of caused that? Or was it grade oriented? Grade oriented. Um, I, I had to get straight A's. I had to be the top student. I just... Unpack that for me. I think that... I liked how it felt to bring my grades home to my, to my family. Hmm. I, um, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm still a very avid learner. I love learning and just being number one felt like I'm doing everything right. And you still love me, right? Because I have straight A's. I remember once, oh my God, I got a C on my report card and I cried. Like, not even like, it was it was so dramatic. <laughs> I ran outside the classroom and I was bawling in tears because I was disappointed in myself and also terrified of what my family would say, which they they didn't really care, mm. <laughs> but I, I put that pressure on myself that I had to be the top performer and slowly, slowly melted into my adult life. Even now at work, I, I sometimes feel myself getting a bit competitive where it's like, mm. I, I have to be the top salesman, but it's like, what does it matter other than I don't want to lose my job? <laughs> so a lot, it sounds like a lot of it, it was performative. A lot of it was to make sure yeah. you weren't loved any less or um, cared about any less. Um, I mean, I'm sure I know that a lot of us that I, I was raised that way as well, but um, I did the opposite. I was like, fuck school, fuck grades. I'm not actually going <laughs> to do well, I don't care. And so I went the other way, but it, you know, my, my family was still very grade oriented. Um, but now, you know, you remember that day when I went live with you, um, and you were, I was live and I asked you to go live with me and you were standing outside waiting for to go food, right? Yeah. And you were so mad. You were like, I'm getting a burger. I shouldn't be getting a burger. And I was like, Ashley, you should be getting a burger because you're an amazing person and you should be amazing to yourself. And you were so hard on yourself, even through that whole conversation, even at the end, you were like, I don't know. I don't know. I really shouldn't be doing this. I, and I said, send me a picture of the burger. I'm going to go get a burger now. Like there's something really, um, it's hard for me to watch you not be nice to yourself. Yeah. 
Do you see that you do that? Yeah. Have you ever just like given yourself something, not because you worked out really hard, not because you did a good thing that day, but just because you're you? Have you? My aunt told me actually once, she, she said to me, I've never met someone who's so hard on themselves like you are. And I don't, I don't mean to be hard on myself. I would like to be nicer to myself. I just don't know how. Well, I think the fact that you acknowledge it and that you see it and that you don't know how to do it is such a great step. First of all, I want to acknowledge that because there's a lot of people that are hard on themselves that go, I'm not hard on myself. This is how we should all be. This is just (laughs) my standards. This is just what I should be doing. Um, I think that the fact that you see it is huge. You need to give yourself that first off. Um, The second part that breaks my heart is the fact that you you don't see anything that makes you happy about your life right now. That you don't see any reason to be excited about your life right now. Um, Because I see things that excite me about you. And I think other, I'm not, I think, I fucking know that there are other people in your life that agree with me and people that follow you online, people that are your fans. Um, Do you think your fans and people that follow you know that you feel this way about yourself? I mean, until now, now they know. (laughs) I think yes and no. Um, It's weird. And maybe, maybe you can talk about this as well. It's weird having an online presence because people tend to think that you're only doing this for the camera. And then when you meet them in real life, they're like, but you're always happy all the time. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not an act for the camera. This is, this is who I am. And there's a lot of judgment in real life. Um, There's a lot of trying to set boundaries online, but people thinking that you're being a bitch. <laughs> So I know all about that. That is so <laughs> hard, right? right? Well, because we want to be loved and we want people to love us. But when you have this online presence, people also, especially people that have less going on in their lives than maybe we do, want think that because you have a short conversation in your private messages that you're best friends. And then boundaries are crossed. And it's really hard. I was, I follow somebody that's a hairstylist that has a pretty big following. And she was posting about a client that met her online and then came in and started um, being her client. And this person really crossed a boundary with her and sent, started sending really inappropriate messages. And it was like, oh shit, like how fast that can happen. And um, I think that it puts us in a hard position, but I think what I've always tried to remember and maybe this will help you, maybe it won't, is that at the end of the day, the space is mine. Mm. My space, my messages, my project, it's mine. I make the rules. I decide things. 
And if somebody doesn't like it, that's fine. If somebody wants to judge why I'm doing it, I don't have a lot of trolls. God, knock on wood. I have like two, in three years, I've had like two trolls ever, two. And I think one of them might be my mom. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no joke. Um, oh I've had God. two trolls ever send horrible messages. Most of them have to do with my weight and if I'm, um, how badly I'm profiting off people's suicide stories, which is hysterical because I don't take a oh, cent wow. from anyone doing anything. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's really easy for people to attack, but I have to always remember something that Brene Brown said. And do you know who Brene Brown is? Of course. Of course. Uh, a lot of people, I just met somebody that didn't know and I was like, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so Brene Brown said in her Netflix special that um, being in this arena is very hard. You get bloodied, you get battered, you get beat. And those of us in this arena, talking about mental health, being an online influencer or whatever, we know how hard it is. So we can understand each other. When someone from the outside comes in and voices their opinion about what you're doing, if they're not in this space with us doing it, their opinion doesn't matter because they're not getting dirty and bloody with us. They are not fighting the same fight so they have no fucking idea what we're all going through. So fuck their opinions. Fuck what they say. Fuck them. Just a big fuck them. Like, it doesn't matter. And, you know, that classic phrase of um, your opinion of me is none of my business. It's true. And I know that's very easier said than done because I am the first person when someone sends me a negative message or has something negative to say about me. I feel it right here. Like my ego, this is yeah. where my ego lives right here. I've learned because I feel it all the time. When my ego is hurt, it's like pulling teeth to get me to let go. It's hard. I've got Leo rising, like the sun rules my chart. Like I am very ego oriented in many sides of me. So I feel it. And so we have to learn in this space that if people aren't fighting this fight with us, their opinion doesn't matter. Your family members, the people online that, that cross boundaries, they're not in your space. They don't know what they're, what you're dealing with. They're not fighting your fight. They, their presence matters. Their, their support of you is great. And you can be grateful for that and gracious, but past that, letting their opinion seep into your skin is so painful and so harmful. Um, mm -hmm. what I would love for you to do, and this is something that my therapist actually, um, had me try to do because I used to, and I, I actually met somebody, uh, about six months ago that, um, I remember saying something to the effect of, um, I want ice cream. I totally deserved ice cream today. I had a long day. It was more than six months ago. It was like eight or nine months ago. And they looked at me and they were like, you have ice cream because you are you not because you deserve it because you did something good. You, we're not on a reward system. You're an incredible person. Do an incredible thing for yourself. And it was like, oh, but we were all raised in this thing of good grades mean I'm loved more. You know, I did, I, I did three miles on the elliptical, which means I can have French fries. I did A, B, C, and D, which means I can be kind to myself. What the fuck? That's like, 
that's like abuse. That's abusive mentality. So that day when you were like, I, I shouldn't be eating this burger, but I'm gonna, I was like, no, 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 you should. And so I, my therapist, um, challenged me. I've seen my therapist for seven years now. She's amazing. And, um, she challenged me several years ago because I did that to do something nice for myself once a day without a reason and without guilt afterwards. And to take that guilt away is so hard. We always find a reason for it. The easiest thing for me to do in the beginning without guilt was to buy myself flowers. So I bought myself flowers once a week. It was on Sundays. And people would say, oh, those are pretty flowers. Who are they for? And I'd say, for myself. And almost all the time, the cashier or someone would say to me, oh, what is it a special occasion? And I'd say, I am the special occasion. And that was it. And I spent, and, and I would buy like the cheapest bouquet, like $3.99 or $5.99. You know what I mean? If you can't afford, buy yourself a single rose and walk around with it and know that you deserve this because of who you are. Every day, do something for yourself. It doesn't have to be about food. It doesn't have to be about something that maybe you're insecure about, but it does have to be kindness. Think about like your most cherished friend, the person that you love the most in the world. What would you do for them to make them feel loved? Pretty much anything, right? So why aren't we doing that for ourselves? I look at you and I look at how much you put online. I look at these interviews that you're doing with these amazing community leaders. I look at the energy that you give your followers and I'm seeing such a generous, good-hearted person that wants to give people so much that's not giving it back to themselves. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, it's hard. You can't just turn on a dime and say, I'm going to start treating myself like a queen because that doesn't happen. I know that's hard. But starting in bite-sized things so that, remember you told me earlier, I don't have anything to be excited about every day anymore. Maybe this small moment of kindness that you're going to start giving yourself every day, maybe that's what you're excited about every day from now on. Maybe you don't need someone else. You don't need a husband. You don't need a wife. You don't need a partner. You don't need a dog. You don't need a different job. You don't need an A. You don't need a burger. Maybe you don't need any of those things to make you feel excited. Maybe you just need to start feeling excited with you. It's just a thought. Uh, I'm going to be your accountability partner. We're going to start. We're going to text. We're going to start like messaging and like if you, even if it's the smallest thing, even if maybe you made yourself a card, maybe you picked a flower from the street when you were walking, maybe you rubbed your own feet or you gave yourself a hand massage, so whatever. Like I needed to be conscious because I know for me, I was like, no, I'm always nice to myself, but I wasn't. And once I started putting like a, I put a reminder on my phone. Once I started reminding myself to do something nice for myself every day, I started looking forward to it. And I feel like you've lost love for yourself is what it sounds like. Yeah. It's not excitement for the world because the world's excitement comes when you're happy, when you're happy, you can find, you can find beauty in anything. I don't, have you ever heard me read that poem 
that I, I often talk about this poem that I think I've read it, um, in a, in another podcast, but, um, I went to this Oprah. I love, I love me some Oprah. And I, I went to this Oprah. She was traveling the world doing this, uh, live your best life tour several years ago. And we were in the, it was an arena thing, but it wasn't very packed. And because it was, she was in a huge arena. And so they just had the bottom tier. So I was probably 50 yards away from Oprah as she and her, all of her guests are reading things and they do all these inspirational stuff. And Oprah says, I want to read a poem to you all. And I want, you know, in her Oprah voice, Oprah's voice in general, Oprah could be talking to me about dog shit and I would cry still. It doesn't right? matter. <laughs> voice does that to me. So Oprah said, I want you to close your eyes while I read this poem to you. And I immediately started to sob before she even started to talk because <laughs> Oprah is telling me to close my eyes. Granted, there are hundreds, thousands of people in this arena, but I feel like Oprah speaking to me, of course, in this moment, because I'm like, yes, Oprah, I'll, sh I'll show up. <laughs> but um, I'm going to read this poem to you because I think that it really highlights what you're feeling. And I think that it is important for you to remember. And then afterwards, I'm going to send this to you because this okay. is a poem this is a poem that I read to myself every day. It's that important. So I, I'm not Oprah's voice, so I, I'm not going to be as powerful, but I do want you to close your eyes and I'm going to read this to you. It's called Love After Love. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you your whole life, whom you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit and feast on your life. I don't think I've ever heard you read that. I'm sorry. Oh, well then I'm I'm glad. Good. That makes me happy. It's beautiful, right? And can you imagine Oprah <laughs> saying that to me? I was a snotty mess. Can can I, I mean, say something sorry. like a little cheesy? Yes, please. Okay, so like my happy place is it's gonna sound so lame. Oh my god. It's not. So when I'm really, really stressed out, I imagine myself with a huge studio audience. And this is not cheesy, by the way. I'm here for all of this. <laughs> and I imagine I'm introducing Oprah as a guest. Stop. And I do. I swear to God. I swear to God. And, and she comes and she sits down across from me. And I'm like, I manifested this. 
Well, then I was definitely supposed to share that with you today. (laughs) That poem is something that I want. This is my homework to you to read that poem to yourself thoughtfully in Oprah's voice in your head, because now that I know she's part of your manifestation and your happy place, um, I don't think that's cheesy at all, by the way. Um, I manifest stuff like that all the time. Do um, you? Okay, so I'm not ab- crazy. No, not at okay. all. Not at <laughs> all. It's really important for us. In fact, I have one of my podcast guests, Michael C. Bryan. He's a mm. motivational speaker, actor. He... um. He told me to do something the other day with my journal and I've been doing it. He said, if you want to manifest, I want to manifest a a really nice trip for myself to finish the book. And I'm manifesting what I want my house to look like when I'm successful. You know what I mean? Like I want to own a home that's beautiful and like full of glass and plants. And he said, I want you to write a letter for to yourself, thanking yourself because it's already happened. And I was like, what? And he said, walk through the house, walk through the Airbnb on your, on your trip and explain to me what it looks like in this letter and then read it every day. This is not in past tense. This is present Present tense. tense. Like you're there now you're sitting in front of Oprah. The crowd has just quieted your, so write that down and read it to yourself in present tense. Like it's happening manifesting, having those moments where you read that out loud outside of your head and live in that space for a minute is going to elevate your vibration and take you to a place where you wish you could be. It's going to give you that feeling for a few minutes a day, which is so powerful for all of us. You know, they say there's power in connection and touch and love with people, but there's always also power in how we speak to ourselves how we speak to others, how we say things outside of our heads. And so I think the biggest, and I think anybody listening to this will realize the biggest um, thing that you're dealing with is you've been speaking lovely to everyone but yourself. And so that sounds like that's the main thing that has to change here. Not that I'm dissecting you or uh, making a, you do all of these things for me, but I do think it would help because I knew it helped. I know it helped me is doing something nice for myself every day, no matter the cost, you know, just even if it's the littlest thing, even if it's making yourself a cup of tea, turning your phone off for 30 minutes and sitting outside and letting the wind touch your face. Say, this is my time. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to be with myself. Um, That's also a gift to yourself. So between that and saying this poem every day, um, I'm hoping that you can find some excitement because what you did today was brave. This session thank, was thank brave. You for me on. This is what you did is brave. And I want to tell you something, and this is what I tell everybody, ask anybody that's had an in-person session. Okay. Um, you're going to feel tired. You're going to feel like you shared a lot and it's going to be exhausting. And you're going to be like, why am I tired and cranky tonight? Because you need to do something nice for yourself because you did something brave. And the moment that you tell yourself, I don't deserve it, or I didn't, I didn't do enough today. The voice that I want you to hear in your head is not Oprah's. It's mine saying, no, you don't have to deserve this. You just have to do it. So tonight I want you to do something nice for yourself because you did something brave today and you were you, you didn't do something that deserved it. You were brave. And that's, 
vulnerability is bravery. And um, whether it's going out and getting like soft serve from McDonald's or, you know what I mean? Get some ice cream, like treat yourself because it takes bravery to be vulnerable and to show people um, things that are difficult. So I'm here to be your accountability partner. And I don't do that with all my faces. You can ask them um, or else I would not have the energy, but I want to do that with you because um, I, Ooh, I'm going to get emotional, but I don't want to experience the world without you here. Are you kidding? Don't say that. No, but I mean, thinking of you, thinking of you doing that in July and knowing that you and I connect online all the time and knowing that I didn't know that is heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking. So I don't want you to ever think that you're alone because you're not, because you have this community and you are officially a face. You're officially a face of fortitude. You're officially member of the community. So there is no more, I don't deserve this. There is no more, I didn't earn this. There is no more, there's nothing to be excited about because you are officially an exciting um, human without all of this, but now you have a family. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh God, you're gonna make me plan a trick to Washington now. Whatever I have to do to keep that going. You guys are crazy out there. You guys protest way too hard. I'm like a wild <laughs> protester. Ooh, girl. I'm, like, I'm, I'm a level one protester. Y'all are level 20. We <laughs> are, right? We are. We had all of our car brigades get arrested today. Like it's a. Oh my God. It was, it was a lot. I was just texting somebody right before your session, sending money to people to help bail out these people that got arrested. Um, it's a lot, but you know what? We are here for it. Seattle is on the map. So yes, please come visit. And more importantly, um, I'm celebrating you and I hope that you will celebrate you. Thank you for being part of this, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a face. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode and all the episodes. We hope you'll join and support us online in the Faces of Fortitude movement on Instagram at Faces of Fortitude, on Facebook at Faces of Fortitude Portraits, and you can find me personally on Twitter at MaryAngela Abeo. If you'd like more information about the Faces movement or have an idea for a topic or person you'd like to see on the podcast, please email us at booking at facesoffortitude.com. Until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, basically continue fighting for the rights of black lives everywhere, especially black trans lives, and do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.